Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of It's Worth Living. Thank you for joining us on another episode of It's Worth Living. We thank uh, all of our continual listeners, our returning listeners, and also to our new listeners, welcome. Uh, we're going to start off this month um, with a great topic, which many um, have asked questions about, have wondered, um, especially in the time that we're living in this world. And the title today is uh, it, Education. Mm-hmm. Education. Has it failed the students or the instructors? Education. Has it failed the students or the instructors? As we begin, uh, I'm going to introduce our guest for today. He goes by the name of Phil's, I'm sorry, Phil J. Alcide. Believe it or not, he's my cousin. <laughs> I still have to re-say his name. But yes, Phil J. Alcide. Now, uh, he has a PhD in mathematics education. He served in the uh, in the public system as a math coach mm. for over a decade. Uh, he has been a professor for over 20 years, currently as a prestigious public university in Miami. Uh, he lives in Aventura and enjoy playing volleyball. <laughs> now, this man, uh, I've known him all my life and... It's always been a pleasure talking to him, and I knew bringing him on this t- uh, on this topic would definitely benefit mm-hmm. a lot of us. So let's get started. Now the topic is on education, mm-hmm. as we mentioned. We feel that sometimes we don't have the right tools as instructors. I've spent some years teaching myself, and I know uh, how it can be, how frustrating it can be uh, when they just throw you in you know in the classroom and say hey go do it now mm-hmm. you have the love for it eventually you'll develop and you know it'll somewhat feel but i have encountered a lot of uh, instructors who are not ready mm-hmm. on different capacities now let's start with something very simple okay how does the race affect education that Or 
or if the circumstances surrounding race mix race and education antagonistic topics. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I I remember I I spoke at this high school where um, you know there are a lot of young people who you know they you know they were getting in trouble a lot and you know I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of them and find out okay you come to school for uh, for four months in like you know you know basically for, for four months uh, in the first half of the school year mm-hmm. and you basically spend 30 days like a whole month out of those four months in detention ISS OSS you know basically away from classrooms what you know what? What uh, struck me was the way he answered. As a what, he was a junior, junior in high school, he said when he's in the classroom and he has to go to ISS, OSS, he's walking around. All his teachers are white, so it's a little hard for him to feel like he can go beyond high school. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a little hard, and and I took that as um, you know a sign, not only because he he doesn't feel like okay. After this, there's nowhere else I can go. But he doesn't even see himself in, you know, in anything else other than just being a high school student. And after that, he's just gonna, I guess, take whatever comes. Mm. Thoughts? <clears throat> you know, it's very. Oh, sorry. You want to say something, Doctor Alcide? Well, um, I could relate to that. <clears throat> but you and I, and all the three of us here, our testimony that our skin color has nothing to do with our education. In fact. It is our background, our motivations and aspirations that have brought us where we are. Mm-hmm. We're not saying this is true for all black people. Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. But we cannot say that there is no future, there is no way beyond high school for black folks. And that could be the young man understanding mm-hmm. and reality, which I respect. Mm-hmm. But this reality was not his per se. This reality was imposed on him because of the circumstances he grew around. What he saw, having all his teachers white, is not an impediment to him moving forward. To the contrary, mm-hmm. it should be an asset to him moving forward. Mm-hmm. But there is that deep-seated hatred, this race tension that makes him believe that well, they will hold me back. Statistically speaking, he should look back and say, "Well, I came from elementary school, middle school, high school. I've been one of them. My teachers have been white." So what keeps you from moving forward? That shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But again, as I said, we cannot avoid the biases mm-hmm. that are embedded or even imposed or inculcated into our children. So this is where race plays a role into education. Mm-hmm. Very powerful thought, you know, um, Dr. Alcy, I myself right now, uh, I am an educator in, in the school systems here. And um, uh, when I first started, it was very interesting. The the um, just seeing a lot of our students when, if you're working in a school where it's uh, most of the educators are predominantly Caucasian, and here comes a you know a black man walking in, and the school has very um, few black students. It's almost like whoa, what are you doing here? It's almost like a they're surprised, so to speak. This is different, and and and, and I, I think sometimes you are um, at a standstill because one, you do want to show our students that you can be whatever it is that you put your mind to, but at the same time, you you, you mentioned it, the bias, 
if from the beginning of education of your education as a black student, if you walk in, especially black young men, you walk in and let's say they tell you to sit down, you sat, but then all of a sudden you started walking around and doing something different. The teacher, you're angry about something or you're upset. Teacher tells you to sit down, but you pull your hands whoop, straight to the principal's office. And from there it begins. Mm-hmm. Where if it's a Caucasian student who does the same thing, it's okay. Well, let's give you a minute to get your thoughts together. So the opportunity is a little different because from there, from the beginning, it's almost as if uh, uh, um, you you have a taste of that bias where if I mess up or I'm it's it's almost as if I was destined to fail because of um, who I am uh, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm treated differently because of uh you know, what I was born into or, 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 or like you said, the color of my skin. And so there's always a fight, even when, and, and, and I guess we talk about race, but culture and even um, our upbringing uh, as, 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 as a people, um, there's certain families that you're taught, no matter what, you always aspire to be your best. But then there are also there are those in certain homes where it says, you know what, this is life. Just deal with what they give you. Don't fight and just keep going. So it's almost as if you're set up to fail, whereas some others, we, you know, we're taught you don't accept failure. You just keep going. You don't allow anyone to tell you that you can't do it. Whereas there's some others where you, when you express, you can do whatever you want. They don't understand what that means. Right. And that's a challenge. I understand that very much because, again, this is nothing but the continuation of the conditions that this country will build up on. Hmm. So what that means is, is that um, our, our error is to believe that we should be treated equally. Mm-hmm. But that's not true because this country, before it became what it is today, was the was the home of slavery. So there were two types of education. People don't understand that. Blacks of the slaves were never allowed to go to school. They, they were slaves after as a matter of fact. But education, we asked, you know, whether, you know, it has failed our students and our educators. Well, let me say this. What was it supposed to be successful at to start with? Because from the beginning, the purpose of education was religious. Mm-hmm. Students were taught how to read, how to write, how to do arithmetic, and the purpose of reading for the for the purpose of reading the Bible. And what that means is, is that they wanted to perpetuate a worldview already embraced. Mm-hmm. Let me say that about 2,000 years back, before the Romans took over the world and before Christianity came into being, education was technically led by quote-unquote pagans. So when the Romans took over and they came up with Christianity, then what? You want the world to be Christian. This is spoken of in Matthew 18, I mean, 2018, all these things, 2018, right? It says, well, go ahead and make disciples and teach them what that means. You want everybody to know the same thing. But there's a problem, the curriculum, what they need to learn. What is it? Mm. Should we teach them what pagans were teaching or should we teach them what we want them to learn now? (laughs) So education was redesigned to fit the purpose of those people that were to take the world over over 2,000 years ago. 
coming to America now. Those that came here from England, who are they? Puritans from the Calvinist tradition. What did they want? They wanted to perpetuate their Calvinist morals. Mm-hmm. So education was geared towards that. So there was a second group of people, those that were destined to be leaders. Those were the folks that learned Latin and Greek to go to higher education. First university established in the colonies, Harvard. That was designed for the leaders. Mm. So if you were not a leader, then you would not go to higher education. Want to know how to read, how to write, read the Bible, and follow. Again, follow. Again, the purpose is examination. So when we ask if education has failed our students, we need to ask whether education was designed to make them succeed in the first place. Mm. <laughs> mm. Interesting question. <laughs> now, our educators, has it failed them too? But again, it's another replica of the slave society. Mm. Educators were nothing else but slave drivers. <laughs> mm. So they didn't have, they didn't decide, you know, determine what to teach. They were told what to do and they did. It's not whether educators or students were successful, it's rather those that designed the system succeeded with it. And yes, they did. Mm. And they continue to succeed with it. Mm. <laughs> okay, since we are in the in the instructors um, pool right now, we, we, we're talking about the instructors, how whether or not they and they were failed, they failed. Now, how can teachers be trained to differentiate children with high potential versus those with uh, those who are on the spectrum? And this question is geared uh, is asked by one of our listeners because they knew the topic we were co- uh, confirm, confirming today. Now, the reason they asked that question is that they that person has a student who is high in some level, but of course average on the in the other. But because of that, when they went to school, instead of honoring the things they were high in, they were focusing on they were that. focusing on the things that they were still average on, <laughs> and kept the child back. And that child just got bored and never wanted to go back. So how can the teacher really be trained to focus on what is really important versus the things that are really not that important? Teachers cannot be trained in that respect. Mm. As a practitioner, psychologist myself, I'll tell you up. There are two sections in the school system that is totally ignored. Mm. The first section is the, the office of the school psychologist. The office of the school psychologist is where all determination should be made as to which child is in the spectrum which child falls behind and which child is quote-unquote gifted. Mm. Of course, every single child is gifted. Mm. But the focus is never on the individual. Mm. Why? Because schools are assembly line. That's true. Yes, they are. You're okay? Right. Yeah. So that being said, those differences, those, those things that make our kids unique are overlooked because we need people that are ready to absorb what the system wants them to absorb. Now, that being said, the second office to look at is that is that the ones that call the office of assessment, mm-hmm. or the where there is an individual there who is responsible for testing. It is that individual that that has all the data on every child, mm-hmm. and if the purpose of education, as the word you know indicates, was to 
Over time, what do we see? They were segregated by age, by level of education, so forth and so on. Mm. Again, we know what that means. The moment you put people among equals, you limit their ability to move up. Mm. How can I move up in my thought process if everybody around me thinks just like me? I, that's, I, I've always hated the term uh, great minds think alike because ever since, I mean, I used to tell my students all the time, I don't think that's accurate. Great minds think differently. Otherwise, we would never have new ideas, would we? <laughs> no, no. I, can, I, I never could stand that idea. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I change in American okay. sayings, but yeah. The whole purpose is that great minds, most definitely, not think alike, but they understand each other. Mm-hmm. They can they, they can communicate with each other. That's mm-hmm. a fact. Mm-hmm. But we, we are not alike. We may have we may be on the same wavelength, but we're not alike. Yeah. So that being said now, we need to hold those two offices accountable. The office of the school psychologist and the office of assessment. Mm-hmm. If a parent has a child that he or she feels that child has special abilities, it is that parent's responsibility to have that child tested. Mm, okay. Either for gifting or for whatever. Mm-hmm. Because we have different kind of schools. We have gifted schools and we have regular schools. Mm-hmm. But no one is going to do that for you as a parent. If you feel that a child has some abilities, you go and you ask that your child be tested for giftedness. Sometimes the school refuses to do it. Mm-hmm. 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 So you, as a parent, it is your responsibility to advocate for your child. It is your child, and you need to go and do that. Mm-hmm. that now, mm-hmm. that being said, we have children that feel bored. Why? Because I don't know, but I'm sure you guys have heard from John Taylor Gallo. Gallo says he was a famous teacher in New York City. He taught for 30 years, mm-hmm. and he was nominated the teacher of the year. At his acceptance, you know, ceremony, he gave a speech. And that speech says that as a teacher, the system that he's in mm-hmm. teaches seven lessons to students. And two of them, I'll, I'll, I'll put on right now, the two of them are, one, you have class position. You go to school, it tells you exactly who you are waiting for that. Mm-hmm. It puts you there. Second one is confusion. Nothing is connected. As human beings, we thrive on connectedness. We thrive on making sense about things. Mm-hmm. But when all the things you learn are disconnected facts, there is no logic to any one of them. You cannot connect the dot. Mm-hmm. Then whatever you're learning becomes boring. Mm-hmm. So there we go now. We have our children that go to school. Their interests are not being catered to. And they have to learn a bunch of things that makes no sense to them. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's one thing that they're dealing with in school. At home, there is mostly no atmosphere that fosters education, growth. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing. Now, at home is not safe, at school is not safe. On the ground, they may be bullied either because of what they look like or because of where they come from or because of the way they speak or sound. Mm. So those children don't feel safe anywhere. Mm. They don't feel that they have inherent value 
assume that nobody is paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. If sending me to CSI or whatever you want to send me is where I, I, that's where I'm going to be. At least I'll find other kids that are as broad as I am mm-hmm. who start talking. Mm-hmm. Maybe great conversation will come out. Yeah. What most of you may not know, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century, Albert Einstein, was one such child. He was in school. His teacher told him, you would never amount to anything. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He would skip school to go in the woods of Germany to walk around and one time they followed him and they saw him. Said, what are you doing here? He says, I'm talking to the truth. He went on to become one of the most celebrated physicists of the 20th century. Hmm. He changed the way we understand the world around us and everything. But again, before him, somebody paved the wood for him. That was a guy called Lubachevsky, Nikolai Lubachevsky. He had the gut to challenge Euclid. Euclid said, two parallel lines never, ne- never touch. That's the fifth postulate of mathematics and Euclidean geometry. Well, if who are you to challenge Euclid? For 2,500 years, that was accepted at face value. That two parallel lines never touch. Which means if two lines are extended and definitely they never touch, definitely parallel. The Bachelors said that's not true. There could be skewed line, mm-hmm. which means they're not parallel, but they could be like this, they never touch. It is with this that we have what we call non-Euclidean geometry. Mm-hmm. And it is with this that the world was paid that Einstein had an opportunity to show his great theory that we ought to be about. Again, oftentimes we have ideas that we can speak of. Why? Because we're not even the way to speak about them. We are told about to learn what not to learn. Our mm-hmm. contribution doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is what we can absorb. Therefore, many children resent the sponge phenomenon. They refuse to absorb things. They want to put things out. Mm-hmm. But there's no way for them to embrace anything. So, but that's a good. You made some good. You made some great points because I, I, you know, when 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 you were just sharing all that information, I think of lots of students, especially in our time now. You know, um, I think in our, in our day growing up, we were taught whatever the teacher says, you listen, you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. This day and age, these children not only process but they question, why does this make sense? Why should I do it? And oftentimes. When you find some of those students, the teacher basically doesn't like that. Almost like what you mentioned with the two individuals. Why are you challenging what this person is saying? Because this is what we've practiced for so many years. And so this child now is sort of um, put in this box or uh, uh, um, put in a situation where other teachers and everyone in the school knows, hey, watch out for this one. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're rebellious. They're rebellious, but not necessarily... Focusing on what their giftedness is, but more focusing on the negative, which is really a problem. And so, you know, it's very important, as you said, as as parents to ask the school to test not on a negative, but also look at what they're good at. What are they gifted at? Because oftentimes we always hear children are not good at this and that they're not good at that. Well, what can we do differently to help them in their uniqueness? 
Now that that was really heavy because it this basically uh, brings not only the current information but how school has always been yeah. in the past. God knows how however long, but a lot of the, the teachers we blame them sometimes because we feel like they're not doing the right stuff for our children. They don't they don't really you know capture how the, our children learn, but in reality they have a model that they have to follow. Mm -hmm. They have this box they have to put every child in. As soon as that child, one child point their fingers outside of that box, well, that child is not normal. Let's, let's either put them in a regressive um, a class or let's find a way that the parents take that child home because they don't really follow the same footstep as everybody else in the class. But also sometimes because they only have that one person with 20 children and sometimes they give them one extra, mm -hmm. you still have all these kids who think differently. And and now if they don't behave the same way, they don't have the same personality. They, as a matter of fact, they put them in the same uniform. I always found that a little weird because I went to school back home yeah. where you have to wear a uniform the same, so you can look just like everybody else. And then, you know, but they put you in a world where you're supposed to think yeah. by yourself differently and independently, which yeah. can be a little hard for a lot of people. What I disagree with. Why I is that? With the idea of making children think differently because that's not the purpose of school to start with. <laughs> it's funny because children, it's interesting, hmm. put it this way. Children are supposed to be good at what? Primarily, the very first purpose of education mm. is to train the individual to learn independently. Mm. Children are conceived in the room nine months. As they get bigger and bigger and bigger, this is a sign that they need space to expand. Mm -hmm. So after nine months, they have to come out. They can know their savior. Okay, born. A few more days, they still have to be held, so forth and so on. Then they have to start working. Well, they have to stay. What does that tell us? As human beings, we are born to be independent. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, our educational system causes us to be dependent mm -hmm. emotionally and intellectually. Mm -hmm. It is what authority says that matters. Well, what you say as an individual doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So independent thought makes no sense. They don't want that. It's a challenge to authority. Mm. Because we have we have a place we're taking you. We have a plan. Mm -hmm. Also, as far as how children learn, one of the things that I disagree with in psychology, and it's interesting because this summer I did a workshop on personal psychology mm -hmm. where I make people understand that the concepts of learning style is a travesty. It's not a good thing. No one has one learning style. No. Yeah. People are told they have a learning style. Mm -hmm. They have a learning preference, mm -hmm. but not a learning style. There is one dominant learning preference, mm -hmm. but not a learning style. Mm -hmm. And part of learning how to learn is learn to integrate those other styles that are not dominant. Mm -hmm. That's what we call self-actualization. This pandemic has taught us that very much. Mm. Now, we, our children, for the past 15-20 years, are born in the era of information technology. Therefore, those children should not have any issues learning on their own at home. Mm -hmm. To the contrary, they are unable 
Mm. What does that tell us? What does it tell us? Well, David Lundberg, the technology we thought would make them that super smart, has not fulfilled that purpose. It has not. So much so that parents have to push for children to go back to school. Now, what really revolts me is the idea of students being bad test takers. If anyone wants to make all my blood turn into water, tell me that a child is a bad test taker. I will blow on you right there. <laughs> Why? Yeah, teachers have come up with a bunch of foolishness to blame students instead of taking responsibility for the inability to do the job. Mm-hmm. Th- that is deep. Because the, the reason I say that is <clears throat> I have encountered a lot of teachers who are complaining. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you would know uh, there's the lounge where the, that's where, you know, teachers eat, but also that's where they do a lot of complaining and about gossiping, their students. Right? <laughs> gossiping about their students and how they learn and they, how they're not doing their work and all that stuff. But nobody ever really, uh, point out that some of these teachers are not necessarily doing their part. Mm. Because if you teach something all semester, there's no reason why all your students or half of your class has F. Okay? That means you didn't do something. Yeah. yeah. So, how come? Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that Someone could be a scholar in his field, but not educator. Mm-hmm. And we have this issue because most people that are expert in the field mm-hmm. don't know anything about education. <laughs> they can do things for the heartbeat, mm-hmm. but they don't know how to pass on that knowledge. I've known education some people. itself mm-hmm. is something that is independent of whatever field of expertise you have. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what we do see is, is that most people are in education. Not because they know how to teach, not because they want to teach, but because this money is easy to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a problem right there, because they are teaching tactics of which they have no knowledge at all. Mm-hmm. They have no knowledge of it at all. And what is really a joke is the way people teach mathematics. I just laugh. I'm like, really? What are y'all doing? If you want to know if a teacher cannot teach mathematics, Listen to those students. They will always ask you. They will ask that simple question. When will I ever use this in life? Mm. <laughs> That's how you know that teacher is not teaching anything relevant. Wow. Mm. That's a good... <laughs> it's interesting. Because if a child cannot see the need to learn this, if the child cannot see how this is connected to real life, mm. then what's the point? Yeah. Hmm. What's the point of teaching this? Hmm. The teacher is not teaching something. Yeah. Therefore, the child is unable to see the future using this. And it's interesting you say that because a lot of um, a lot of uh, people up to like let's say maybe seven years ago, mm-hmm. you didn't need a child development uh, degree to teach children, which was disturbing because I taught that class. And the information that is provided to some of these students are things that you don't just hear, especially those who don't have children. You would never encounter some of this information or even know how to use them, but yet they've been teaching for years. And they wonder why some of the, te- some of the kids are messed up. <laughs> well, it's again, as I said, because of the things that has happened in education, hmm. um, all those reforms, you know, again, talk about public education. Let me ask that. 
paying there's a there's a different story <laughs> correct though that is correct but unfortunately that's how that's not how the government works the government give you something especially if even if you are paying for it, you pay we pay taxes so technically you are paying for it but because you're not paying for it up front they feel like they can just right. give you whatever and then you should right. just take it the kind of car the teachers are driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so why would they want to jump into that yeah. when they want to drive a Bentley but the teacher's driving a hunt that has beat up and been through years of exactly. years of abuse? Yeah, you are educated, right? Yeah. You educated mm-hmm. and then yes, that's what you have. Mm-hmm. We don't have a model of the teacher as anyone, as anything anyone wants to be. Mm. Teachers are seen as losers, as folks that have failed that society, therefore they, they, they come here, whatever. So students, parents don't want them, teachers certainly don't want them. So we are two losers in a classroom just wasting our time. And, uh, but the truth of the matter, mm-hmm. sorry, students okay. see themselves as prisoners and they see teachers as prison guards. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate it took the pandemic for a lot of parents to actually appreciate their teachers because they realized how much work 
it takes. And teaching is the one of very few jobs who you that like you have to take it home even after you leave the classroom. You gotta go do homework, do all this just like you like giving the students. You have a whole bunch of it that you have to to do as well. It, it's crazy. So just to, mm-hmm. I was gonna say this a twist to what you shared because I I, I I do see it when dealing with students they're already one if there are challenges at home home is negative they come to school looking for a way out and it's negative and I often think to myself um, education is a form of service you build relations in order to reach your students in order for them to learn but I think for many educators as you mentioned, yes, they do come into it. Some come in because of the benefits of having summers off, mm-hmm. having certain breaks. Mm-hmm. And so really and truly, children have that sense. You know how they say there's a sixth sense? Children can sense when you're really there for them and you want to see and allow them to benefit. And so when they come in and, and, and they don't learn, as you said, you can't blame the student, but look at the teachers and really ask, what are you here for? Are you here for the right reasons? Because you're teaching the generation, the next generation to take over. And if there's nothing, if your cup is empty, what are you pouring into children? Emptiness? Emptiness. And so, yes, when they see this beat up car, they're going to say every day, I don't want this. Because not only is your car beat up, but your classroom is beat up. Your sense of teaching is beat up. The drug dealer around the corner has a better car than the teachers. That's the whole point. That's not an issue. That's not an issue because, again, again, as you just said, the teachers aren't paid enough. They don't have any benefits. Okay, give a teacher a subsidy, at least a house, Mm -hmm. in a car. That teacher has made some sacrifices. There is this program called Teachers Next Door, where mm-hmm. if you want to teach in a particular neighborhood, you could go there and the government will help you find a house there. My issue with this is, is that those houses are not mm-hmm. in the kind of neighborhood the teacher wants to raise a family. Yeah. Now, also, the teachers have no connection to the children they're teaching. What that means is, is that education that's meaningful is community education. People in the community where we live are also responsible to be teachers in that same school. Mm-hmm. That alleviates a lot of the issues because children tend to respect people that they spend time with. Mostly not just in school and at home, but also in other kinds of activities. Those people know them, they know each other, and they realize that those people actually care. Mm-hmm. When I stand in the classroom, high school or college, my students know that I care. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because I bring the real life into the classroom. That's what I do. I happen I to know them. I happen to know one of your students, former students, <laughs> who always says he was the best teacher mm. he ever had. Real life scenarios. And and that's the thing. She's yeah. actually the way she said it, she's like she, he's the best teacher they never had mm. because he was he was uh passing through. He was wow. just yeah, I think he uh he was substituting and, and he taught them and they just never forgot it. They just never forgot it. And 
testimony. Mm. So I'll tell, for instance, I'll tell my students, they always say, man, you always look nice and dress nice. I say, well, listen, it's a privilege <laughs> for me to stand in front of you to teach you. I am not just, you know, sharing knowledge with you. I am modeling a whole other things. Mm. Mm. What it means to stand over here to interact with you, the way I present myself, the way I address you, what, what, you, what you are to expect from me and what I am to expect from you. Mm-hmm. So there is a bunch of assumptions against, you know, teachers and students. And unfortunately, um, very few students can connect to a teacher because most teachers are big up in a sense that they feel as if, well, I am wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And again, teachers in the high school or K-12 system do not have the freedom to teach. They don't have academic freedom. They are given a basic guide. Mm-hmm. They have to follow. They cannot allow to deviate from it. Mm-hmm. That's the box we're talking about. The basic guide. Mm-hmm. So I have a Yes, I may have students. Mm-hmm. I may have students that have some certain abilities, but I can't afford to deviate from the basic guide because if I am one day behind, I need to give an explanation. Tests are coming up. How come you have not covered this? Mm-hmm. You have not covered that? It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what great learning is going on. If you are not on par with the pissing guy, you are behind. Yeah. So question. Going back to your students enjoying your classes and, and, and building rapport, building relation, and thinking about areas where you know we, I, I, you know, you mentioned um, um, is education next door, teachers next door, <clears throat> and is it better than when I when I, we, we we're talking about students and learning? Is it better than for students to learn from someone that either understands their upbringing, understands where they're from, and someone that looks like them? Would they learn better from that person? Or uh, in our society now where most of our students, depending on the area that you live in, when you walk into your classroom, the teacher looks nothing like you, doesn't come from where you came from, doesn't necessarily understand, but wants you to fit into this box that you know nothing of. (laughs) And so it becomes more difficult to even understand what you're teaching because you, one, don't understand where I come from, who I am, but you want me to learn your style. Which, cause, which can, can be, which can, you know, you can consider that confusion. It's a lot. <laughs> Ideally, it would be great that the teacher and the students have the same background. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, again, it would be easier for them to be rapport. But the truth of the matter is, when we go to college, most of our teachers don't look anything like us. That's true. <laughs> and yet, we learn from them but whatever we need to learn and we move on. Mm-hmm. Now, as I just said, ideally it would be great if the teachers would look like the students or if they have a shared past experience or if they share the same space, which is the community. But all these things are misconceptions that are put on the students to make them believe you cannot learn from somebody if that person doesn't look like you, if that 
their background. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I could teach all black kids, and you'll be surprised to find out that I have no shared background with them. Mm-hmm. It's that the background that's important. It's the, I'd say, the interest in the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An incentive, I because would say. Are, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are many non-black teachers that black students love to them. And those white teachers have no shared experience with their students. Again, the whole point is, when we students go to school, why do we go there for? Do we go there to be accepted? Because this becomes a problem primarily, because according to Maslow, we have needs. Mm-hmm. So if I go to school and all that I'm looking for is acceptance, then that says something about the home. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm accepted at home, if I'm valued at home, Wherever I go, I don't crave that acceptance anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. I am already something. I am already somebody. So all those things that put in school should be brought back to the home. Mm-hmm. How are parents raising children? Mm-hmm. Because in the book of Proverbs, there's a very simple verse that everybody knows. And that verse technically is what it says it is trained that you will train up a child in a way in a way they should go. Mm-hmm. But the Hebrew text says, which means you need to initiate the child. Initiate the child. Not just pass on things. Initiate the child. Also recognize the child's way. Earlier we asked, how should a teacher detect? Is that the teacher's job? It's the parent's child. Mm-hmm. You have a child. That's your child. You bring your child to me. Mm-hmm. Tell me, I'm my child. My child is this way or that way. Please help him. Mm-hmm. But you as a parent, if you don't do your job as a parent, there is no way I as a teacher can help your child. And I'm sorry, I can't. You give birth to that child. You should know your child's tendency. Mm-hmm. But again, there's another problem. Most parents are busy trying to make a living. Mm-hmm. Six weeks after birth, that child is sent to daycare. <laughs> How can such a parent know the child? <laughs> it is a bunch of circumstances that we fail to explore. Mm-hmm. We have, we, we must look into those kind of things. Education starts at home. Yeah. Parents should have the leeway to at least spend two years, the first two years with their children. Mm. And if a parent cannot do that, understand it's typical, then what don't expect the child to go and become a, a super genius out there because the confidence the child needed, the child did not receive it at home. Mm. So start so the home. educational child starts 20 years before the child is born. Before a parent has a child, the parents need to ask what kind of environment I want to bring my child into. Mm-hmm. What kind of parents I am going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't send my kids to school for teachers to educate them. I send them to school for teachers to continue what I studied at home. Mm. That is that is that is deep because a lot of parents complain about how their children uh, are at school but have no idea whether or not their children would actually have that type of behavior because they've never seen it themselves. That's right. 
Dr. Alcid, you said so much. And so I think it also bounces back to the parents. And as parents, there's a work to do. Re-educating mm-hmm. the mind and realizing, one, that children are, are yours. And it is your responsibility to remind teachers who your child is and what is expected in order for them. Because again, it's almost like going to uh, um, the doctor or going to get your car fixed in the mechanic. You are the client <laughs> and they had to serve. And so you should remind yourself that it's not the other way around, but that you should expect. And if it's not given, demand. These are some things that I expected of you. But as we wrap, you know, as we're getting close, I have two quotes. I have a quote that I wanted to share as we're talking and we're discussing education because this is a topic that can, it's ongoing. We can always learn something. Mm-hmm. And in it says, every teacher who has to do with education of young students should remember that children are affected by the environment that surrounds the teacher, whether it be pleasant or unpleasant. Teachers should remember that they are not dealing with men or women, but with children who have everything to learn. And it is much more difficult for some to learn than others, which is very important. Not everyone learns the same. The dull pupil needs much more encouragement than he receives, he or she receives. If there are placed over these varied minds, teachers who love to order and dictate and to magnify their authority, teachers who deal with partiality, having favorites to whom they show preference, while others are treated with um, exactitude and severity, confusion and insubordination will result. Teachers who are not blessed with a pleasant, well-balanced disposition may be placed in charge of children, but a great wrong is done to those whom they educate. Wow. It's very heavy. But it goes back, as you said, as parents, when you do send your children, remember that it is your responsibility to keep in contact. Ask your children, how are classes going? If you're seeing that their disposition is changing, it is your responsibility to even advocate and say, I want to sit in your class. Do a pop-up visit. I think lots of people don't understand. They don't realize that you can pop up and I want to see what's going on in my child's class. Have meetings. Nowadays with technology, we can reach out. <laughs> Use the technology. Hey, I'd like to set up a meeting. What's going on? Because I'm seeing a change. And sometimes we'll say teachers will say, "Oh, your child is not performing this way." Well, how are you teaching? Are you making some changes for that child? Because oftentimes we get stuck in our ways, but oftentimes we have to challenge our teachers as well to make sure that at the end of the day, I know it is my responsibility, but it's also your responsibility to reach to my child and make sure that once he or she leaves your classroom in that school year, they remember your name. Mm-hmm. At least your name comes out of their mouth throughout at least once or twice in the week. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And just to bring an overall idea of what our topic was, I mean, you got like we basically had some heavy stuff here. Hopefully, everybody's <laughs> really enjoying it. The way I was, and you know, it's uh, very touching. Now, as we finish, has education failed our teachers or our students? Hmm. It has failed both. <laughs> our students haven't learned how to learn, they have not learned to think critically or independently. Mm-hmm. Our 
Mm-hmm. And they have achieved financial independence. And that keeps them always in a sense of worry, mm-hmm. unhappiness, and discontent. Mm-hmm. The system can change, but there's a lot to do. Race and education. Black students are at a disadvantage, not just because of the school, but because of the home environment. Mm-hmm. The home environment needs to change. Children in a home where education is important will value education. Mm-hmm. When they go to school, they know why they go there. Mm-hmm. But if there's none at home, they will not care about what's going on in the school. They want to play sports, they want to be elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So yes, a, a, a poor child goes to school with the hope to get out of poverty. But the lack of education depends the poverty. Mm-hmm. So it's a cycle, it's a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. It's three components, the home, the school, and the church, or whatever religious circle you are. Mm-hmm. Those circles are those that needs to be looked at and changes to be made in all of these areas because all three of them must come together mm-hmm. to create better citizens, better individuals, better thinkers. Mm-hmm. That is if that's what we want society or education to be successful at. Thank you all for uh, for listening and thank you to Dr. Alcid for um, you know for coming along. We really learned a lot yeah. from you. Um, hopefully with the listeners demand asking for you to come back, we'll definitely bring you back. Mm-hmm. Um, but as usual, I want to remind all the listeners that I am remarkably made. You are remarkably made. We're all remarkably made. And therefore, it is worth living.